For the next few weeks, we're going to read parts of the book of Jeremiah together. Before I read our scripture this morning, I want to situate it a little bit in its own context and for ours. Jeremiah was a prophet. A prophet is a person called by God to speak for God to God's people. There's a lot of prophecy in our scriptures, and this has been a habit of God's over time to speak through people whatever needs to be said. Sometimes prophecy, prophecy excuse me, is comforting and encouraging. Often it is a hard truth. It's a mirror held up to God's people, so they will stop following their own counsel. I'm going to get this closer so I can move. There we go. And get back to God's instruction. The book of Jeremiah is prophecy to God's people in a time of occupation and exile, some six centuries before the birth of Christ. This period of time came after the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem in 586 BCE by the forces of King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon. Maybe you remember that fun name from Sunday school, Nebuchadnezzar. Yep, we don't name kids that much anymore. I know we have a lot of historians in this congregation and history buffs, and historians always mark watershed moments in the life of communities. The destruction of the temple is one of those. It's a watershed moment in the history of God's people. And in the period that followed, the community of people who worshiped Yahweh was under threat, some from within, some from without. That community would be displaced for some 50 years. And Jeremiah speaks into that long season of confusion. One of my own Old Testament professors, Walter Brueggemann, who himself is a prophetic voice in our time, describes the book of Jeremiah this way. He says it's a sustained pondering of the determining trauma of the loss of familiar Jerusalem. In other words, in this moment of history, life as God's people had known it was torn apart. The center of their community was destroyed. The future they had expected was gone. And they struggled to keep hold of the ties that had bound them together. If we think about what 50 years look like in real time, a lot of people in this room haven't even been alive that long yet. Others, just a few more than 50 That's multiple generations of life. It would have been even more generations 2,500 years ago when life expectancies were shorter. As a reference point, this community, Trinity Presbyterian Church, will turn 75 next year. So think about 50 years of trying to discern how to move forward, how to believe and worship, where to live whether to put down roots in land that isn't yours under authority you didn't choose, how to envision a different future from the one you expected, what to keep and let go, what to plant and what to build. The prophet Jeremiah wrestles with these questions for 52 chapters. Jeremiah, by word count, is the longest book of the Bible. He speaks comfort But his words are not trite. Jeremiah is not the prophet you should choose for a cat poster. This is hard stuff. He convicts God's people for their fickleness, 
when they want to give in to the invading culture, because let's face it, it's easier to join the stream than to stand against it. When they forget God's faithfulness, Jeremiah reminds them. When they're weary, because 50 years is a long time, Jeremiah laments with them, and he gives them hope. Hope, because God has always known them, God will never leave them, and God is, even when God's people can't see it, God is working for their future. That's a lot. That's a lot of messages for a prophet. And frankly, Jeremiah didn't want that big responsibility. We don't know too, too much about him as a person. We know he was descended from a line of priests, but he didn't have any special training or authority. In fact, like almost everyone called to speak God's words, he didn't want the job. Prophecy is rough work, and no one wants that role. When we ask little kids what they want to be when they grow up, nobody writes profit on their worksheets. Not a one. And even people who feel called to study theology, they don't show up at seminary and say, I'm here to become a prophet. And if they do, frankly, we're very concerned. (laughs) People don't like prophecy. Human beings don't like to hear hard truths about ourselves. As people, we're more known for our short memories and the ease with which we shift allegiances to the best thing on offer. Prophets stand against those streams, so it's a pretty thankless job. That's why our scriptures are full of stories of prophets who tried to decline God's job offer. Moses said, no, thank you, Lord, I have a speech impediment. Jonah jumped a ship to try to get away from God. Gideon thought he was too weak to do any good. Even Paul, who became a leader of a burgeoning multi-site church, initially felt too ashamed to work for God. And Jeremiah is often called the reluctant prophet. He was probably a teenager when he was called to this role, and he did not want it. So now, our first reading in this series of lessons from Jeremiah is God's call to Jeremiah to speak God's word. Here now, Jeremiah 1, 4 through 10. It's going to be not on the screen, Kevin, but I'm adding a verse. 1, 4 through 10. Now the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. Then I said, Oh, Lord God, truly I do not know how to speak, for I am only a boy. But the Lord said to me, Do not say, I am only a boy, for you shall go to all to whom I send you, and you shall speak whatever I command you. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you to deliver you, says the Lord. Then the Lord put out his hand and touched my mouth, and the Lord said to me, Now I have put my words in your mouth. See, today I appoint you over nations and over kingdoms to pluck up and to pull down, to destroy and to overthrow, to build and to plant. Friends, this is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Lord, from these old prophetic words, speak to us now. 
hold a mirror up so that we might see what we need to do to be more faithful to your future. Amen. As you've heard this morning, we kick off our annual season of commitment at Trinity today. It's a call to move forward in faith, to trust in God's provision and the plans God has for us. Sometimes, as churches face the very real financial needs of ministry in the world, we struggle with how to talk about such things. Maybe especially Southerners. Did you grow up being told that money is tacky as a topic? It's crass in polite conversation, and so very polite churches sometimes struggle with how to talk about this. I was glad to discover when I arrived that Trinity calls this season commitment, not annual giving, not fundraising, but commitment. Financial giving is one expression of our much bigger commitment. Now, to be clear, this congregation needs financial support, especially if we're going to keep up with the rising costs of modern life and if we believe we're called to do new things. We work on a lean budget here with a very lean staff. We are diligent resources of ev- diligent stewards of every resource entrusted to us. And as I said in my letter that you either got this week or will get later today, I hope we will see an increase in households participating with financial giving. Giving is our shared responsibility in this place. But it is also essential that we think all the time, not just for a month or two a year, about commitment. Commitment in all its forms. Commitment to show up. So well done, you all, today. To put worship at the center of our life's priorities and our habits. And to take stock of who we are and what we have This season is just a reminder. It's not our only opportunity, but just a reminder to ask ourselves, how are we spending our resources and our time and our energy? Does our spending reflect our faith and our priorities? And also, what are we good at? What do we love to do? And where do those answers meet the needs of our community? We will study Jeremiah this season Not because Jeremiah cares a whit about fundraising. That is not what this prophet is about. But because Jeremiah, speaking for God, cares deeply about the future of the community. Jeremiah spoke to a disrupted community all those centuries ago and challenged them to commit to God, to worship, to hope, and to each other. Now, our context is different. We don't face the armies of Nebuchadnezzar, and our sacred space is not under military threat, though some of our global neighbors face that reality even now. We are in prayer this morning for our siblings in the Ukraine as they continue to live under attack, and for our siblings in the Middle East as war has erupted again this weekend. Here in our context, we're not occupied by another nation But we do live in exiles of other kinds, and our communities are under threat. I invite you to think for a minute about the layers of community of which you are part. 
In my own life, I think of community as a series of concentric circles, and they start very small. The first one is at my house. Four lemons and one quirky dog are a community together. And we live in a neighborhood, which is thankfully a community. And we live in the little city of Decatur and also in the big city of Atlanta and also in the complicated state of Georgia and also in this country, which brings us love and hurt and fear of the future all at once. We are in communities with our extended families and friends who don't live close. We're part of communities in our schools and our workplaces. Thankfully, for us, workplaces we love so much. And we're here in this community that is a family of faith. We keep binding ourselves to it. Think of those communities in your life. What are your concentric circles? And then think for a minute about the forces that intrude on those communities. They might not be as identifiable as armies, but what tears at the threads that hold us together? There are probably lots of answers to that question, but I'm going to offer three that seep into the communities of my own life. The first is perpetual busyness. Do you all feel that? Yes, the parents can't even nod because they're too busy, right, in the room. Our culture has no expectation of Sabbath at all anymore. We actively avoid reflection and rest. But it takes time to be a community. It takes time to gather, whether it's with family and friends sharing a meal just for the sake of joy or leaders setting an intention to hear each other's perspectives, or colleagues navigating a new world of work post-pandemic, trying to find that elusive balance of efficiency working alone and the organic good of interacting with others. It takes time and intention to be together and to listen for God. I know I prefer to hear God on my schedule when I have bothered to get quiet and sit still and focus and I'm ready. But that is precisely why prophets have been called to speak to us. God calls into the absurd pace of our life to reset our time. A culture that prizes busyness does not preserve community. The second is our relentless culture of success. Community thrives when we are not pursuing self and everything around us tells us to pursue ourselves. Millions of people in this country have actively left faith communities in the last 25 years. 40 million people by some counts. That's 12% of the American population that used to participate in some practice of faith but have stopped Now, some of those people left faith because they're disenchanted by hypocrisy or they've been traumatized by faith communities, but others have simply gotten caught in the stream of 21st century life. They haven't severed the ties that bound them together. They just let them get so loose that they couldn't hold. They drifted out of the communities that once gave them care, accountability, and the love of God made visible. 
in an article from The Atlantic this summer called The Misunderstood Reason Millions of Americans Stop Going to Church. Good title. Jake Meter argues that most people who've left faith communities have not left because of ideology, but for a much more mundane reason. And that is that community just isn't how life works in America. As he puts it, contemporary America simply isn't set up to promote mutuality, care, or common life. Instead, it's designed for us to maximize individual accomplishment and professional and financial success, and such a system leaves precious little time or energy for forms of community. Community is a check on that relentless pursuit of ourselves. And finally, our communities are under threat as we lose sight of our shared past. Our communities under threat as we lose sight of our shared past and disagree about our shared future. The community struggling to navigate life after the destruction of the temple had first a common grief. But over time, they lost sight of what they had shared. Like our communities now, they were prone to forget what had bound them together in the first place. And when communities lose sight of their shared story, they're prone to drift apart or just to drift without purpose or direction. Jeremiah's prophecy in very strident terms calls them back to their shared identity so they don't get stuck and are able to move forward. Our country is struggling with shared story. Like God's people so long ago, we've forgotten what binds us together, and we are adrift in competing narratives. We don't agree about the past from which we should have learned how to understand it, how to teach it, how not to repeat its mistakes. We don't agree about the future we want, and we've lost the practice of public discourse that might help us through such a confused moment. Spending time together working on what is hard reinforces the ties that bind, but the communities we are in are often afraid to talk about hard things because it is just so easy for people to leave. It isn't Babylon, but we live with these invading forces and some others all around us. Busyness, success, competing narrative that makes us wonder whether the future will be shared and okay. It often feels like these forces are too strong to be changed. And they are the very real challenge of this and every faith community today. I am struck by God's words to Jeremiah in this moment. As that young person saw a community struggling to be together and purposeful, he didn't want the task of speaking up. He didn't want to remind God's people of their past. He did not want to tell them that they had to move forward to a different future so God said to him, Jeremiah, remember that I have always known you. Remember that I knew you before you were formed in the womb and before you were born. I already had a sacred purpose for you. In the face of forces bigger than you, you shall speak. Don't be afraid. 
for I've put my words in your mouth, so you will know what to pluck up and what to pull down, what to plant and what to build. These words are for us. We only exist as a community because of our shared faith and our shared call. And God calls us to speak. God calls this congregation to a role in our community. We will need to pluck up the weeds of a busyness culture, to pull down the vines of success above all, to root out the lies and revised history that perpetuates harm. We will plant instead seeds of trust in God's future, and we will speak God's truth. This commitment season is a moment for us to pledge ourselves to God's work in community. This one and all the ones we're in, may we have that courage to pluck, to pull down, to plant, to rebuild, and to speak God's love. Amen.